Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Applied behavior analysis is the science of systematic behavior change, which can be applied to classroom settings. ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. Applied behavior analysis is most typically understood and known for its application as a treatment methodology for individuals who have been diagnosed with autism or related disorders. Individuals with autism may uh, exhibit repetitive behavior, communication difficulties, social interactions as well. The severity is based on social communication impairments and restrictive repetitive patterns of behavior as outlined in the Diagnostic Statistician's Manual. When we talk about behavior change, we also need to talk about uh, how we define what, what that is. When we are talking about ABA services, what do we mean by that? People mean and say different things. So let's define focused ABA treatment, which according to the Behavior Analyst Certification Board Healthcare uh, Funder Guidelines, it states that focused ABA generally ranges from 10 to 25 hours per week of direct treatment plus direct and indirect supervision and caregiver trainings. Now, when you contrast that with comprehensive ABA treatment, comprehensive treatment often involves an intensity level of 30, 40, or plus hours per week of one-to-one direct treatment to the client, which also doesn't include caregiver training, supervision, and any other needed services. Although the recommended number of hours of therapy might seem high, it is based on the research findings regarding intensity. And it's not about, you know, um, the older you are having fewer hours or um, there's really nothing that says fewer hours produce more results. Really kind of the more intensive the services are, the more quicker you're going to start to see change. So again, it's based on the research findings and there is some really good guidance if you look to Larson, Eric Larson, Dr. Eric Larson's publications that talk about you know, what's the intensity for how long and at what point should we then start to expect to see some pretty robust gains. Some possible treatment locations as outlined by the Behavior Analyst Certification Board and the practice guidelines for healthcare funders and managers um, include home and community and school, clinic, outpatient, residential, as well as hospital or inpatient settings. And this was appropriate for both the focused and comprehensive level of care. So where do we begin? Well, when we think about what's available in many states, we think about early intervention services, and that's usually birth to age three. If your child is not identified as having a a learning delay or as having an express need, then you may not really know, um, or they may not be recommended for an evaluation. You may not know if there is a diagnosis in hand here until your child is really off to school. There is a federal law called Child Find, which states that the um, educators at the public schools are responsible for identifying children who are at risk or who may need to have evaluations and be screened so that they can start accessing services. Applied behavior analysis is going to be really typically prescribed for children who are having difficulty, who are struggling with success in schools. And oftentimes when we talk about this in schools, these are for aberrant or challenging behaviors. So 
kind of when, when a behavior analyst says behavior, we talk about anything that's observable and measurable. Other people might think of that as being uh, an undesired behavior. So they might think yelling or screaming or refusing to do work. And certainly we can assist with those things as well. But typically there's a coexisting skill deficit. So what needs to be taught instead? Is it how to attend to the task or how to break down the information? Is it previewing the information ahead of time? Is it building in a robust reinforcement system? Teachers are a critical part to any child's team, especially in the school setting. And often they're gonna be the ones who, who notice or who identify that some additional support is needed. Of course, parents are also a critical member to a child's school team, and they know their child the best, but they're not typically the educational experts, so they do rely and depend on the schools to be looking out for their children in ways that they just don't know how. Many children uh, may be considered eligible or would be screened for an individualized education plan, and that's going to be based off of a collection of assessments. Sometimes that's a cognitive or academic, a social-emotional, a functional behavior assessment, um, speech and language if appropriate, social skills, occupational therapy, physical therapy. Those are all areas that would be um, important to consider. It's incredibly important that you're familiar with your federal and state requirements if you're practicing in the United States, if you're practicing outside of the states, in your province in Canada, or in your regions, wherever um, you are located. You want to just make sure that you're in compliance. Typically, we see the involvement of behavior analysts when we talk about behavior plans. Federally speaking, a functional behavior assessment is intended to be done as a proactive way to hypothesizing or guessing or determining and taking an educated guess about what maintaining functions of behavior are so that we can identify a replacement um, protocol and a behavior intervention program that's going to lead to a reduction in the challenging behaviors um, which we define as any behavior that interferes with the child's learning or the learning of their classmates. Any behavior that results in self-injury or injury to others causes damage to the physical environment that is socially isolating to the individual and anything that impedes independence. So as I mentioned, a behavior analyst might be a part of that team. Uh, again, they're a part of a team. In order to become board certified as a behavior analyst, there's a degree requirement. So at the BCBA level, there's a master's degree requirement. Uh, specific coursework approved in the profession, in the field, in the practice of behavior analysis, as well as a prescribed amount of supervised experience before sitting for the board examination, which is a pretty comprehensive examination uh, with a kind of variable uh, pass rate. So it's, it's a kind of tricky credential to obtain, um, and it's really just the beginning. It's just the beginning expectation for um, that level of expertise on the team. You wanna make sure that people are continuing to get education uh, units and going to conferences and creating those verbal communities and staying up to date because after all, we're talking about an evolving science of behavior change. So behaviors are gonna to need to be prioritized because there's a lot of different directions we could go in. We tend to prioritize behaviors for decrease, um, but we do wanna also identify again those replacements for increase. And we wanna look at any core deficits that are barriers to um, effective uh, progress and independence for a learner. So things that inhibit play, um, that's something that's really important that we wanna remove those barriers and teach skills such as play because so much of what our young early learners learn is through play opportunities. We're also going to need to increase opportunities for practice. 
um, because if you have increased opportunities for practice and prompting or feedback, then you're going to have, uh, you're going to come into contact with reinforcers and that's going to increase your behavior in the future, meaning you're more likely to engage in it. We want to focus on teaching generalization. So we're going to vary materials, the instructional cues, sometimes the instructions that we're using, as well as who's providing that instruction. As I already mentioned, there's a heavy focus on independence. So we want to make sure individuals can toilet themselves, can ask for what they need, can feed themselves. Those are really incredibly important and allow individuals to have maintain that level of dignity, especially in any um, you know, any tight situations where you may not want a second person there with you in the bathroom, for example. So we talked about for early learners, programming should really prioritize play. We want to be thinking about teaching social skills and what is a meaningful social reciprocal, you know, friendship look like. And while we're doing all this, we need to make sure that we're also measuring that progress or evaluating progress in a measurable way so that we can determine if it's being made. Behavior analysts should work with the teachers and the teaching teams and all the specialists to create behavior intervention plans to train individuals on the implementation and then follow up and model, provide feedback, be available for questions, collaborate, communicate as part of that team. And there's some online options and low-tech options and different ways in which you can communicate. Um, Sometimes you can just video record or upload a quick podcast like this and share your ideas with others that way. And some common tips and things that are helpful in classrooms are to organize your materials. Some classroom supports that are helpful is establishing routines and having visual or written schedules in your classroom for your learners. Providing models and examples is always important. And of course, we want to incorporate student interest as well as identify those naturally occurring reinforcers. So if a learner in the classroom really likes to um, be a helper, you know, sharpening pencils might be something, but they have to show us that they can respectfully use uh, the electric pencil sharpener. We are going to need to set up some situations and, and we're going to be want to be really strategic with our teaching methodologies or our teaching approaches. So we're going to be really systematic and use things like active student responding, choral responding, guided notes, response cards, um, peer partnerships, and we want to be teaching these problem-solving skills that are necessary for group work, that are necessary for work, that employment, and they're necessary for friendships and, and life. Um, and we really need to make sure that in the process, we are there advocating for staff to be supported and that they are getting instruction on the basics of behavior analysis, that they're being supported with the expectations of whole group instruction and that if push-in support is needed in a school setting, that it is something that is offered as an assistance to the teacher and to the classroom. Some students might have a teacher's aid or a one-on-one working with them. In some states, such as Hawaii, that's usually a registered behavior technician. That could also be done in pull-out services. That could be done in a resource classroom, if not in the general education setting. And for some students, they receive a lot of their instruction in a special education classroom or a sub-separate space in the building. And you might see a mixture of those. There's an emphasis on data collection when we talk about behavior analysis, even in the school setting, as well as a visual display. And we're looking to make sure that data is going in the desired direction. Um, Data points on a graph aren't the only way that we measure success. We're also looking to see 
whether or not students are happy, whether or not teachers are learning, and that we are having families say that the meaningful change that's occurring is as a result of our involvement in the interventions. To learn more about ABA, especially in the school setting, check us out at www.behaviorbabe.com.